So last week we discussed the topic of the Holy Spirit and its work in the life of a believer. And also, its work through us, you know, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and its work through us in the lives of others as God uses us in building up His church. And that's what we spoke about last week. Today I want to talk to you about this topic of fellowship and what the Bible teaches about us coming together as the body of Christ. So fellowship is something that many people seek after, right? We all want fellowship. We all want to be with people. But we often don't understand true gospel fellowship or fellowship according to the scriptures. So today I want to discuss it. And I've divided it in three topics. You'll see on your sheet. Um, Number one is community, okay? I'm going to talk about what community is according to the Bible, how it looks like, what it's about. Point number two, I'm going to talk about this topic of confession and specifically on confessing your sins to one another, uh, which makes up the community or makes up a healthy community, rather. And point number three is compassion. So I try to do it in three C's, right? So that'll stay in your head. Community, confession, and compassion. And in compassion, I'm just going to talk about how we serve others in a way that reflects how Christ uh, served us when he came to, to earth. So, community, confession, and compassion. So let's look at point number one, community. I want us to look at Psalm 133, if you have your Bible. Psalm 133. And if you find it, can someone just read it out loud? Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the color of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls in the mountains of Zion. But there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Hmm. Thank you, Ryan. So, this verse ought to remind us of the great privilege we still have in our country. Uh, to meet on Sundays for worship and midweek studies without having to worry about persecution, at least not yet. Jesus himself lived in the midst of enemies, right? And at the end of, his, at the end of the whole story, his disciples deserted him, and he was left on a cross utterly alone. However, we today must not take for granted this gracious privilege that God has granted us of being able to fellowship and be a part of a visible community with others who are in Christ. Not all Christians receive this blessing, believe it or not. Not all Christians around the world get to come, you know, get dressed up, come to a church and have fellowship with other Christians. Uh, again, not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, or the persecuted proclaimers of the gospel in hostile lands are standing alone. And if anyone knows how valuable it is to be in a community, I'm sure they know. I can only imagine that they are looking back, thinking about times when they were fellowshipping with other believers, thinking back of those sweet times of fellowship, and think to themselves what it says in Psalm 42, 4. Uh, if you have your Bible, go to Psalm 42, 4. And someone just read that. So we see that it is the physical presence of other Christians 
that we find much joy and strength from. And I think of Paul when he was imprisoned for the gospel and his yearn to be united with believers. You see that in 2 Timothy 1.4. Uh, can someone find 2 Timothy 1.4? Yes, thank you, brother. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be fulfilled with, that I may be filled with joy. Yeah, amen. So you see uh, Paul talking about being filled with joy and how he um, longs to see him, longs to see Timothy. Now, for us, it is very easy to be unaffected by such a verse. We look at a verse like that and we can't really relate. We say, oh, yeah, Paul loved his church. He wanted to connect with them. And it's easy for us to be unaffected by it, but this is because we have community so available to us. It's so easy to find community. Um, it's at the point where if you don't like the church, you can find community somewhere else. In fact, we at times can feel overwhelmed with community that we often feel like we want more space away from the body. But this is only true if you fail to see that fellowship with other believers is a grace that God has given to us. It's a privilege, especially here. In, in the States. Now, with that, with that in mind, I want to explain community and just describe it a little bit um, from a biblical perspective and also what, what, how it serves the purpose uh, of God and his story in the Christian life. Uh, the, the fellowship that makes up a community of believers is a fellowship based on one thing, and that one thing is Jesus Christ. This is the one factor that makes a Christian community what it is. No Christian community is, more, at least a real Christian community, is more or less than that factor. That's it. That's where it ends, and that's, where, that's the expansion of it. That's the, that's the least of it. No Christian community is more or less than that factor. <clears throat> in other words, we are a community based on the simple fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we are recipients of his grace. So furthermore, <clears throat> as individuals who are united in Christ, so you have your own, your salvation, Christ saved you as an individual. You are part of the body, but uh, you are part of the body simply because you are saved. In, in other words, you are united to Christ, but you are also united to each other because of that simple uh, fact. Let's look at another verse, Romans 15, 5 through 7. If you find it, just read it out loud if you can. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Amen. <clears throat> uh, I like that last verse there. The, uh, it, in the ESV version, it says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Here in this verse, we see uh, in verse 7 that we are to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Now that verse alone has so much implication that you can do a whole series on that verse alone. Think about all that Jesus has done for you in welcoming you, right? Uh, the sin that he bore on your behalf, the suffering on the cross, the forgiveness that he has granted to you, 
Now, what blows my mind even more is the fact that he would even consider to seek and pursue you or pursue me while we were still enemies towards him. And this was a true display of love. And this is what Christ did for us. And yet we see here in verse 7 that we are called to welcome another, right? Just as Christ has welcomed you. So the way that you have received this grace from Christ, this is the way that we are to welcome others into the body, right? Now, this may be difficult at times, but what it does mean practically is to be like Jesus when it comes to our actions towards our brothers and sisters in the faith. For one, we can see that Jesus pursued a people who were far from sinless. In fact, if you're saved today, this means that Jesus pursued you while you were dead in your, sin, in your sins. So God's love for you was de- demonstrated to you through Christ. And it was not because you had anything about you that was worthy of this grace, right? We know that you were saved by grace alone. Likewise, our love for our brethren should not be one that is based on what that other person can offer, right? But rather out of the love for the gospel. It ought to be filled with gospel love, with, with, this, with this thing in mind. Um, it ought to be filled with gospel grace. The way that we pursue others is in that same, with that same mentality. Another aspect of Christian community is the, as- the aspect of brother and sister. Right? We, we toss that term around a lot, like, hey, brother, hey, sister. Um, yet, we all don't have the same mama. Uh, when we see in Philippians 1.14 that Paul calls his congregation brethren or brothers. Let, let's look at that in Philippians 1.14. Someone pull that one up. Philippians 1.14. And just read it when you have it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you just oh, that simple line there that says brothers. That's all I needed to prove to you that uh, we're called brothers. That's it. Nothing deep. <laughs> we are brothers and sisters to one another through what Jesus has accomplished for us. Through Christ, we have been adopted by our heavenly Father. We know this doctrine. And therefore, our brothers and sisters in the Lord are those who are also adopted. Now, that's simple. Yeah, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's where things get a little serious, right? The story doesn't end when you get saved and you become a brother, right? If we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been given a serious responsibility. Uh, You and I, as Christians, must not only receive a person who is earnest and full of zeal in serving Christ and his church. You see that one brother come into our church and you see his excitement for the Lord and we receive him with open arms. We're like, you know, we can use him in the band. We can use him in this or, you know, he would help in this ministry, whatever the case may be. What a, what a brother. Um, but what about those who come into the church or even those who have been a member of the church who struggle? Like you see their life and it's like, that you know, they're Christians, but they, you know, they're a little bit a little bit more worldly than, than, than what you expected. <clears throat> what about those believers who, whose, spirit, whose spiritual walk is a bit messier and still need a lot of work to be done in them? By God, of course. Now, here, here's the point. If they are a person who has been redeemed by Christ, delivered from sin, and called to faith and eternal life, right? They're saved. We are obligated to receive this brother 
with all his and her bad baggage. We have to. They are brother in Christ. We have to re- receive them. Treat them like that. This will make, this will make fellowship a little bit harder. Yes, <clears throat> fellowship can be tough when we have a few brothers and sisters who are a little bit more difficult. But here is something that is important to keep in mind always. It is not the maturity of the Christian or the brother that, that, that is there. It's not his maturity or the level of piety that constitutes the basis of the community. Right? What determines our brotherhood is solely on what Christ has done in that person. And that's the end of the story. In other words, your obligation to receive and commune with brothers and sisters in the faith is simply because they belong to Christ. What determines our community is what a man or woman is by reason of Jesus. End story. This is true from the beginning of their walk, right? All the way down to eternity. The only reason why we are brothers and sisters in Christ is because of that factor that we are saved by Christ. Now, as a community gets deeper and more genuine, the more clear and pure everyone's motives become, until ultimately Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. And that is the goal for the Christian community. So when we think, man, I want this community to grow and I want this community to flourish, you got to stop thinking that what that looks like in the end is just this happy, like everyone's getting along community. I mean, we hope so, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is uh, that Christ, or Jesus Christ and his work, become the one and only thing that's vital between us. In other words, he becomes more of the center of our relationships. Um, and that is the goal for the Christian community. We see that in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Do you have that chapter? Can someone get it? Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So the key part of that passage is verse 13, which says, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal of all Christian community. Now, understanding that goal should diminish the desire for something more. Right? When you think about community, you get tempted to think of something beyond that scripture of Christ being the fulfillment of that community. And again, that scripture should diminish our desire for something more. This can be a big temptation for new members or those of you who are seeking for the right church, right? Many Christians have spent years and years searching for the right church. And I know how important it is to find a church where you can commit yourself to and grow in. And it's important to think it through. I agree. But when it comes to seeking fellowship, this is where things get a bit complicated, even for those of you who are not new in the church. Maybe some of you have been in the church for years and still struggle. Man, I don't find community. I struggle with fellowship. This is important. When it comes to fellowship, there is this temptation to desire something more 
than what God meant fellowship to be based on, which is namely Christ. In other words, <clears throat> those who want more than what Christ has established, in reality, they really don't want Christian brotherhood. He or she is looking for an extraordinary social experience where he or she may not have found elsewhere and assume that Christianity must meet that for them. These expectations, in reality, are just muddles and impure desires that are being brought into this concept of Christian brotherhood. In fact, this is a dangerous assumption because it, it, encourages, it encourages a false foundation of what Christian fellowship is all about. Uh, it confuses true Christian fellowship with some wishful idea of community based on that natural desire to want a certain kind of fellowship. But true fellowship in Christ is not this abstract ideal that we pursue after in hopes to be blown away by this experience of fellowship. Rather, true Christianity or true Christian fellowship is not this idea or this goal that we want to meet. It's a spiritual reality that's, that's there before you and you don't have a choice to, to change it. Christian fellowship is a spiritual reality whether it fits your taste or not. Why else would Paul call us to bear with one another? Let's look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Someone turn to that passage. And if you get it, just read it out loud. Many Christians, even after years of membership, leave because their understanding of Christian community sprang from a wishful dream. See, the goal of a serious Christian is to understand what it means, what it really means, biblically, to be a part of a community with all its issues and imperfections and faithfully live it out. If you are new here, it won't take long for God to shatter your dreams. But that is God's grace in your life, actually. God does not desire to abandon you to your false visions of fellowship. He wants you to face reality and see it for what it is. I'm sure that many of us imagine this, like, photoshopped picture of all of us singing songs and laughing around the campfire and high-fiving each other in midair, right? With our Bibles clutched under our arms. And on the bottom of the picture says, Faith Baptist Church of Orlando. This is what we're about. It's a nice, it's a pretty picture. And as nice as that sounds, God will not leave us to live, even for a brief period, in that dream world. And for our good, he allows us to be a part, this is for our good, he allows us to be part of a community with imperfections and a constant need for the gospel. That's the reality. I like this, I like this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that addresses this very subject. He says this, and I quote, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, of the Christian community. 
even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands it to be realized by God and by others and by himself. He enters the community of the Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God accordingly. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, he acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, like it depends on him, as if his dream binds men together. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure, like, man, this church failed. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. End quote. Again, this is a good reminder that God has already established the basis and foundation of what a Christian community is. It is a people bound up together in Christ as one body. And, uh, and, uh, and long before we enter into a common life with them, in other words, before we even come to the community, um, we were already bound to Christ and bound to this community. And this leaves us with the obligation and responsibility, as it says in Romans 15, 7, to welcome them, right? Welcome everyone, every one of us who are saved. Welcome them as Christ has welcomed us to the glory of God. Again, that's the basis of community, Christ Jesus. Now let's look at point number two, confession. Confession. Now, even though we have been blessed with this community, there will be some who will still experience a sense of disunity and fellowship. So we're all here together under the name of Jesus, praising God, obeying him by loving each other. But even after corporate worship, corporate prayer, and many other opportunities to fellowship, a person in the body may still experience a disconnect in fellowship with their brethren. What causes such disfellowship? The answer is concealed sin. When a fellowship does not have a culture of honesty and transparency, they create a culture of fellowship that denies the fact that they are weak and in need of God's grace. So think about a church all together. We're singing, we're praising, we're attending all the services. But, and again, we're doing it under the name of Jesus. So, right, we're obeying, we're obeying the first part but there's still some of us in here or in the church who still feel isolated and separated. And the answer is concealed sin. When a person sins, he automatically feels disconnected to the body of Christ. And uh, what happens is uh, when a fellowship does not have a culture of honesty and transparency allowing people to confess and be honest about their sin, what we've done is we've created a fellowship that denies the fact that we are sinners and in need of God's grace. This is a pious fellowship that permits no one to be considered a sinner. And therefore, many dare not to be honest about their sin. So, many remain alone with their sin. Again, this is a disconnect, right? They remain alone in their sin, living a life of lies and hypocrisy. So say, hey, brother, how you doing? He's doing I'm doing great. Everything is good. Shaking his hand. But deep inside, he is a hurt sheep, um, who is struggling with sins and fears to be open about a sin. So again, many remain alone in their sin, living a life of lies and hypocrisy. But the fact is that we, you know, I hate to break the bubble for you, but we are all sinners. 
And although we should never applaud any sin, we must obey the scripture. And the scripture tells us in James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is found in James 5.16. For those of us who struggle with trying to keep up with an outward appearance of holiness, but not nourishing your soul with the gospel, you will find that one day your sin will catch up to you. This reminds me of what the Lord said to the scribes and the Pharisees in the gospel of Matthew. Uh, Let's look at Matthew 23, verse 25 through 26. Matthew 23, 25 through 26. If you find it, just read it. I like uh, 26 there. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. For us, we know that our only hope to be cleansed from the inside, right, is the gospel, which transforms our heart. And with that in mind, we must be obedient in confession, right? We must trust the gospel and be obedient in confession. Our fellowship is hindered when we become a community who refuses to obey in confessing our sins to one another and continue in false acts of piety. Again, it's important that the church be holy, right? But it's also, uh, one of the aspects of being holy from a gospel perspective is to also be honest about your sin. So holiness in the church also means honesty with sin. If the church is to grow in unity and fellowship, it must be honest with sin. Sin demands... This is what sin demands. Check this out. Sin demands to have a man by himself in isolation. That's what sin does when you have it concealed. It takes a man away from community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him, and the more deeply he becomes involved in it. And the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin must be brought to light. So where there is confession, right, if our church is one that confesses, The light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. Sin is a hard struggle until it is admitted and brought into the light. If we want good gospel fellowship, we must create a culture of honest, confessing sinners whose hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. And this brings me to my last point. Last point is compassion. So community, confession, and now it's compassion. In this topic of compassion, I want us to think about fellowship in light of how we serve in ministry or how we serve each other in church. Let's look at this verse. Look at um, nine. I'm sorry, Luke nine, verse forty-six. <clears throat> if you have it, just read it. A dispute arose among them. My, my version ESV says, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. What an interesting thing to argue about. <laughs> this verse alone is interesting. I doubt, I doubt we would ever see this happen in our church. Like, brother, 
you know, stop arguing about who's the greatest among you. Um, it's kind of too obvious, right? No one that I know is going to argue openly about who is the greatest. But the truth is that this argument of who is the greatest is one that may be happening in the hearts and minds of Christians here at the church or in any other churches, right? Who's the greatest in your heart after you served hard, after you did whatever act, act towards another brother that seemed so pious? In your, in your mind, you struggle with this issue of who's the greatest. And because of our sinfulness, many Christians struggle with this comparison issue, right? You compare yourself to other people and you struggle with that. Um, or even criticizing others, right? After you came early to prayer service, you look around and you see those who didn't come to prayer service and you just feel like, man, what sinners they are. Um, or, or, you, or you judge others on who they may feel are weaker in the faith. Again, looking at Luke 9, 46, the statement, an argument arose among them as to which, who was the greatest? That's enough to kill a fellowship. And this verse is an example of real issues that arise in the hearts of those in communities, and we must eradicate that, right? What does the scripture call us to be in community? Scripture calls us to be humble in community. See that in Philippians 2, 1 through 7. Someone find that? Philippians 2, 1 through 7. Amen. So you see this uh, breakdown of humility in a community. Now, we want to get to the point where when you see someone do something better than you or see other people doing things that are better than you or living a better way, that you can applaud them as well. In other words, you don't hide in your heart, man, you know, I need to be like them. So you have this comparison issue or they're not like me. Comparison, you know, struggling with this competition in, uh, in the faith. However, when we see others succeed and grow in the faith, we ought to applaud them. This is something, this is, this is humility to forget yourself and to look at others and count others as higher than yourself. Again, if we are to have fellowship, it must be one with much compassion. This verse we just read brings us back to the principle of having a humility towards one another that is motivated by the gospel. Again, motivated by the gospel. If you know that you are saved and all good things that are in you come from God, what have you really obtained? Everything has been coming from God from the beginning. From, from the beginning. Um, and so that ought to motivate you to treat others with gospel humility, humility and consider others as, as higher than yourself. In verse 4, Paul calls us to humility by calling us to count others more significant than yourselves. We see his gospel focus as he calls us in verse 5 
to have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, and explains the humility of Christ as he emptied himself on our behalf. Another verse God calls us to bear with others. You see that in Galatians 6.2. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, Bear one another's burdens as so fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing means pretty much forbearing or sustaining with others. And we are called to suffer with and endure with our brothers. We are not like the world, right? For the pagans... The other person never becomes a burden to them at all. So no one's carrying each other's burdens. Why? Because he just simply sidesteps every burden that the other person may impose on him. Or just leaves him and gets new friends. That's the way the world works. The world has no obligation to carry each other's burdens. You know, why? Even if they did it out of love, what's their motivation? For what? If they don't know Christ, uh, what kind of love are they actually doing? If, If anything... They're trying to merit some sort of reputation of goodness. But what is their motivation of bearing with one another's burdens? They don't have one. We, however, are Christians and we carry each other's burdens uh, with a gospel motivation. We are a people who stick by our brothers because they are our brothers in Christ. This fellowship in Christ implies that we love our brothers and sisters and stick by them with compassion. So being a church member, being a person in this fellowship means that when things get really bad, like really bad, you stick by them and you, you, you encourage them and you carry their burdens. Um, another thing, we are also called to guard our speech. Ephesians 4.29, I'll go ahead and read it for the sake of time. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Little thing about our culture. Our culture, or we live in a culture that places transparency, like being transparent and open and vulnerable. They place that as like the highest virtue. Like I got to be open. I got to keep it real, right? In other words, the more real and authentic you are, the more you're applauded in this culture, right? You got Instagram and everyone's just keeping it real, right? The selfie uh, thing, we're just keeping it real. But what this has done is given a lane for people to be brutally honest and blunt in their speech, right? Without concern for the way it may affect others. And the excuse that follows is, is, well, it's the truth, right? But this isn't Christian thinking. Um, again, we are called to be honest and straightforward with God's word, but we're also called to guard our mouth and to be uh, concerned about our speech. We just read it in Ephesians 4. What does Paul say in this verse? He says that our speech should only be such as is good for what? Building up. Ask yourself, have I, ask yourself, have I been careless with what I say? It, uh, is what I say speech that serves for building up? Am I just kind of reckless and say whatever? Also, notice Paul's concern for speech uh, sort of in the middle where it says, uh, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. He says, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. In other words, let us be mindful of our speech 
And let us also be mindful of the occasion, what is appropriate for the occasion. Uh, and this is vital for a community that seeks to grow more in love, unity, and Christ-likeness. So again, um, God, uh, we see in Scripture that God is calling us to uh, be careful with our speech. Humility and speech, those two things that I just discussed, are really just some of the many factors that ought to be considered when seeking to serve a Christian community and better a Christian fellowship. But these are just things that I wanted to bring up just to um, stir up some thought on how we interact with each other. All right, let me close uh, with this uh, statement. Uh, it, let us meditate on the three C's, community, confession, and compassion, as we seek to better understand true Christian fellowship. Remember always that a Christian community is built on the simple factor that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we are recipients of his grace. This should, this should cause us to forsake the fantasy ideals of your dream, your personal dream fellowship, and learn to love the body of Christ simply because God loves them and has received them through the blood of Christ. Love your brethren now and not like an imaginary future version of them. Love them now, just the way they are. Remember to, also, remember to obey the command to confess your sins to one another. This is not a call to be openly ashamed about your sin. Uh, I'm sorry, openly unashamed about your sin. This is a call to confess your sin or uh, do so uh, in, a in a community or create a community where you can trust each other and confess sin struggles to each other for the hope of being helped and restored and for a hope of looking towards the gospel. And finally, let us remember to have compassion for one another. If we are to have healthy gospel-centered fellowship, we must be able to humble ourselves, bear with each other's burdens, and also guard our speech. This is, impo this is an important um, aspect of the life of our community. Now, with that said, I want to end this with a verse that really shows a picture of what the early church was like in regards to fellowship. Uh, this is found in Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as all, uh, to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. And so our prayer should be that God would do the same in Faith Baptist, in, in our community here. Amen? Any questions or comments? Lloyd. And a lot of us may have that vision of community, you know, coming up in the scriptures and we're like, oh, this is the way it should be. Um, but we have to realize, and I've come to realize, that we're all people sanctified, yet still, I mean, we're all people justified, yet being sanctified mm -hmm. uh, to that glorification. And we have a lot of residue of yeah. sin in our lives. Amen. And um, 
I read this uh, short devotional with Augustina last week. I think it was in the Daily Bread, where this symphony or orchestra from, I can't remember where, they're like flawless. And the reason why they're flawless is because when they practice, when a band member messes up, they stop and they have to raise their hand. And so everybody stops. And the person who raises their hand will tell them what note they messed up. Yeah. So they have to go back over that note again. Uh, and, and just the way, you know, you have to raise your hand and just stop everything like, oh, I messed up. Yeah. In order for them to be flawless, I thought that was amazing. Wow. Yeah, and, and that, that goes to show sort of the stage that I guess all churches are um, until the coming of Christ, um, just sort of in that process, you know, before that perfection, and we're sort of in that in that stage. But yeah, very good illustration. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, and, and also any, any dream or desire to see the church be holier and to be further conformed into the image of Christ is an appropriate desire. In other words, um, it, it's not that we completely erase in our mind this, this possibility of us wanting to see the church become holier and more set apart and more holier in the word and, and before God. Um, it's, it's not that that's a bad thing. In other words, we ought to desire that for the church. We ought to pray that the church be more sanctified. 
Um, but it's, it's this, it's this uh, other thing of, of having a desire to see the church be something else that, um, that it's, it's not that way currently um, and, and, and sort of being uh, desperate to see uh, a different kind of church according to your ideal uh, way of looking at fellowship. I think it's those desires that are sinful um, because, because what it is, is, is it's a lack of trust in what God is doing in the church. It's a lack of trust in the Holy Spirit and his timing and the way that he's deciding to grow the church according to his word. So trusting in the means of grace, trusting in the word, trusting in prayer, that it, it may not, the church may not look that way now, but it will, you know, according, according to God's, you know, sovereign plan and timing um, is important to keep in your heart and your mind. And loving the church, uh, loving the church and loving your brothers um, aside from the fact that they are not there yet, they haven't arrived, none of us have, we ought to love them now and not like a fantasy future version of them. Um, but love them now and serve them now and be content with that, trusting that God is doing the work. Um, you know. So, uh, you know, keeping that in mind. Any, anyone else? We're good? Okay, let me pray. Father, we uh, thank you, Lord, for... Uh, helping us, helping me, Lord, to uh, get into this topic of fellowship, Lord, as I myself am learning the subject. Um, I just, I pray even for my own heart to be content with the body that you have given me. Uh, Lord, all its imperfections, we see that even in the early church, uh, just some of the things that they went through, and yet they were still called the church. Um, and it's simply because you have purchased us through the blood of Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would be patient with one another, that we would bear with each other's sins, and that we obey what the Scripture says by loving one another, Lord. Uh, if we do not have love towards each other, then we lie when we say that we love you. Because how could we love you whom we cannot see physically, yet those who we see physically, we don't love? How can that be, Lord? We just pray that we love each other, we be patient with each other, we correct each other, um, we pursue holiness with each other, but we do it through gospel humility, knowing that all of us were once dead in our sins and are in pursuit of this holiness ourselves, Lord. So give us that humility and help us to come alongside each other and uh, be patient with one another as you conform us further into the image of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.